Gyro Nation Metal. Welcome back to Gyro Nation Metal. My name is Jeff, and I'll be your host. Vancouver's solo death metal project Dungeon Serpent put out their debut album titled World of Sorrows in July of 2021. Although not much is known about Dungeon Serpent or its frontman Eli Schmidt, the album was met with overall positive reception and has left fans hungering for more. Today, I hope to uncover some things that the internet has yet to discover and gain a little insight into the mind of a young, ambitious death metaler. Eli, thank you for joining me today, man. Hello. Thanks for having me on. It's an honor. No problem. Anytime. So I know we were chatting a little bit before the recording here, but just for anybody listening, where did the nickname Iran come from? Uh, it came from the series of books, The Pride and Chronicles, which I um, I read growing up. Uh, and it, I mean, from there, it comes from Welsh folklore and Welsh mythology, but I've, I've never read any Welsh mythology. So it mostly just comes from the Black Cauldron and Prydane Chronicles. And is this something that you use on stage as like a character or persona? Uh, well, we haven't really played live yet. So, <laughs> uh, I guess time will be the judge of that. Um, I don't know how theatrical we're going to manage to get live, um, I guess we're mostly just focusing on being able to like play live at this point, <laughs> but yeah, fair enough. And this whole project started as a solo thing. So how is that going to translate into live performance? Um, I think it's just been translating pretty nicely. Um, like, uh, I got the lineup together fairly easily. Um, like the, uh, rhythm guitarist is a friend of mine. Um, the drummer has technically actually been in the band since 2020. We had a few rehearsals in the summer of that year, but then um, by the time I was recording and had finished writing everything, um, I, we were just both working and really busy. And the restrictions for COVID and stuff were pretty high at that point. So it just ended up being a drum machine thing. I, I still wrote all the music then and I still do. Um, and then the bassist is from my old band, which is still technically active, Revelation. Um, and I asked him to join, and he said, yeah. So the live lineup got together pretty fast, and we've been rehearsing, like, over 2022 and this year. Mm -hmm. It's been going pretty well. <laughs> so then you guys are obviously planning shows and maybe a tour. Uh, shows, yes. A tour is still a bit hard. I mean, you know, I'll, some of us have college, other of us just have like jobs. Like I'm pretty sure our bassist works full time. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I'd like to do a tour, but it's, you know, just a bit tough economically. So it's a, it's a hope, but it's not quite yet. Well, and especially as a brand new band, I mean, yeah. um, if you haven't played live yet, it's going to be a little bit more difficult getting a lot of different venues on on board. Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the other thing. Like, it, we need to kind of establish ourselves a bit more before we can really start thinking about a tour. You know, someday, hopefully. Well, I think putting out an album uh, is the first the best first step to take is having something tangible that you can hand out to anyone or they can listen to your music. Yeah. Oh, we have one of those. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I know that we chatted briefly uh, through email about your musical history, and you said you've been playing guitar for about seven years, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, how did you get started in that, and how did you transition into death metal? Um, well, I think in grade seven, um, I listened to the radio a lot when I was a kid. Um, and eventually, I guess I came across like classic rock radio, so... Like in grade seven, I started listening to classic rock a lot. 
Um, and I eventually through like Ozzy Osbourne, Metallica and power metal, I got into metal. And I think, uh, the band Hammerfall, um, was really a big influence on me picking up the guitar. Um, and my dad in our garage, um, it's <laughs> blanking a bit. Um, my dad, my dad had, um, for my uncle, one of his friends, a store, just like a old crappy Stratocaster there. And I'm like, Oh, can I play that? It's cool. You know, I, um, and I, I picked it up and just messed around on it. Not much really came of that. Um, and it's kind of, I forget exactly how, like just playing that once morphed into eventually just going full out on playing guitar, but eventually I managed to like, just get a, get an actual guitar and started playing. Um, and I, I think in grade nine is when I started really playing guitar and really getting into that. And also the year I discovered death metal as well, coincidentally. Um, and I guess, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's how I started playing yeah, death metal and guitar, um, about, and then Dungeon Serpent, I think was started uh, about a year or two after that, um, under a different name, just because I wanted to make music, but couldn't really find anyone to make it with. What was the original name? Uh, the original name was Necrotizing Facetus. Um, I thought it sounded cool and it wasn't taken, so I uh, named it that, but I kind of didn't like that name very much, so I switched it out for various others until I landed on Dungeon Serpent. And how did you choose Dungeon Serpent? I just took two words I liked and put them together, pretty much. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> like I, I like I like reptiles a lot. Um, yeah, it's just a like of a like of mine, um, a love of mine, and um, well, obviously through the interest in fantasy, um, Dungeons and Dragons, the dungeon came from that. And I just, that, that arrangement of those two were, cause both of those two words were taken as band names. So I just decided to put them together. And yeah. And you created something completely new. Um, as far as reptiles go, do you have any? Oh no, I, I don't have any pets. I don't think I'd be very good at pets. My sister is a cat. Um, that's the closest I, I have to having a reptile, which is pretty far. <laughs> Fair enough. So back into metal, I know you mentioned like Hammerfall and Metallica. Um, who are some of the first death metal bands that you got into? Oh, man. Um, well, the story of how I got into death metal is I was in some sort of engineering elective in high school. I forget which one. But um, there is like, I think just uh, uh, there's like a assistant or like a substitute janitor there. And he was wearing mm -hmm. an obituary slowly rot shirt. And I thought it was Sodom. So I'm like, oh, is that a Sodom shirt? And he said, uh, no, it's, it's obituary slowly rots old school death metal. Um, and like, I listened to obituary and I think the song cause of death really stuck with me because that intro solo. Um, and like, I just, him calling it old school death metal also stuck with me. So I looked that up and I found, um, like just a playlist of old school death metal songs on YouTube and kind of just started listening to that a whole lot and, uh, got into various bands like, um, a few like ones that I listened to a lot when I got into it is like Wombath, Crematory, Sadistic Intent. Um, those are the first ones that come to mind. I think Time Ghoul too, but I might have found that on a Reddit thread relating to something else. 
with your music, are you trying to stay within that similar vein, like of the old school death metal sound, or are you trying to branch out and kind of modernize it a little bit? Um, I mean, like I, I personally prefer like raw or older style stuff over newer death metal. I mean, there's new death metal bands I like, but I, I like things kind of kept raw and very, um, you know, just brutal, uh, in some sense. But I think with Dungeon Serpent, um, I was more going for like mid nineties mellow death stuff, um, of the more like heavy kind, like intestine Balism, uh, Migaus, Oldham on stuff like that. But I mean, it's still pretty heavily rooted in just straight death metal a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And now there's, there's a lot more influence from like, I guess even less brutal melodic death metal, like, um, the first dark tranquility album, I think that one's really awesome, but it's not like not super heavy. It's a lot more just um, fast and weird. And so that's kind of the direction I've been going in more recently, I think. Okay. And how did you decide on your musical direction? Um, I mean, you know, because I got into metal through like power metal and heavy metal and stuff. I kind of have like a predisposition to more melodic stuff and more harmony oriented stuff. So even before I got into mellow death, the death metal I was listening to, I was always kind of noticing the the melodic sections and the like the more that the more that type of stuff within it. Um, and so I guess um, like I found some bands, a certain <laughs> feel hesitant to mention them, but a certain band from Virginia, um, I stumbled across their music on the internet and it impressed me quite a bit. And I just wanted to make something in that vein. And I started exploring melodic death metal a lot more and decided to kind of start my own project in that because before Dungeon Serpent had really no, no unified vision at all. Um, and that kind of, that's why I managed to actually get that album done because all of a sudden I kind of had a goal of something I wanted to do. Um, because I'd found that sort of niche within death metal. So it was just something that kind of that kind of naturally manifested itself when you were when you became interested in making that music. Yeah, pretty much. As far as being like a one man project versus uh, working with other musicians, which do you find is easier? Um, I don't like I probably just doing it by myself. Um, because the people I've worked with in the past, it it just leads to a lot of fighting. Like, I mean the revelation whenever we'd write stuff like we all had very different ideas of what we wanted to do with music and so often like we just have very like <laughs> intense arguments about things whereas with this i can kind of focus on what i want to do and fulfill that kind of vision without having to like fight with other people um so often but i mean it is fun just writing music with other people as well but certainly i i I find it easier just to do it by myself because I have a pretty specific like idea of how things should be done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely, there's a, there's definitely a contrast between doing everything yourself, writing the songs and being in charge of things versus, uh, I mean, that gives you more creative freedom, but then the contrast is working with two or three, four other guys that, or girls that um, have differing opinions, have different visions for what the project should be. Yeah, I mean, you know, if if I were to find people who I who kind of had similar goals to me, perhaps I'd write with them. But I mean, I've never found like another guitarist um, who necessarily like is trying to do the same thing as me, um, mm -hmm. like in the city, at least. Maybe I could find someone online, but I prefer doing things in person if I'm going to do things with other people, because it's just a lot easier to organize things that way.
Yeah, for sure. And when you started to move into like vocals, um, the keyboard and bass, uh, what was the most difficult to learn and why? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, bass is, you know, pretty much just guitar or the way I play it. At least I, I'm not like, I'm not an amazing bassist. <laughs> um, I think vocals was kind of hard. Like I'd messed around with it in the past, you know, like every once, um, and so often I do like, I try to do vocals, but I think the really hard part for doing vocals is just writing lyrics, um, and getting those to a point where I liked them. Um, it's a miracle I did because I generally hate my lyrics a lot, but I'm pretty happy with the ones I got on that album and then getting, you know, I mean, for vocals, I just shout pretty much <laughs> and pitch it like roughly, um, I, that, there's a bit of improvement to be had with those. The keyboard, I took piano lessons when I was like a little kid. None of that stuck okay. around. I mean, my keyboard abilities are very much limited to like holding notes. <laughs> uh, but I can do it, kind of. Well, it's impressive. I mean, you, you wrote all the songs, you wrote all the lyrics, um, you decided on the topic, and then you also did all the instrumentals. So... Yeah. I think you're not giving yourself enough credit. Oh, I mean, uh, the thing uh, on the subject of keyboards on that album, uh, um, some of the parts were provided by the guy who um, I did the recording with. He played a few keyboard parts on that. Some of them were MIDI. Um, okay. I didn't, I, on that one, on the next one, the next album, I, I'm doing all the keyboard parts myself. Um, but on that album, it was either MIDI or he uh, did, I think the intro to Cosmic Sorcery, he did on piano. So um, I didn't do any keyboards on that one, but I did everything else. Um, when you were writing the songs, um, what did you generally start with or did it change per track? Um, I, I mean, I just wrote riffs, um, and then I'd put them together based on key. Usually if a bunch of riffs were in the same key, I'd put that as a song. Um, mm -hmm. or like if, a lot of them were derived from each other. Like one riff would be kind of a variant of another, and then I'd modify that and kind of become a different riff. I cosmic sorcery. I know that one. Like I, I had, I had a few riffs lying around, but I structured it uh, over the lyrics. I used the lyrics to structure that one. Um, that's why it's a bit more repetitive than the others, I think. But usually, I just it started with um, an idea I liked on guitar, and I'd expand it past that and add more on and kind of flesh out a full song. For this album, you guys, or sorry, you released the album through Nameless Grave Records. Is that right? Yeah. Um, originally, it was just released um, with a kind of different, uh, just more rough mix on the internet um, by myself. Mm -hmm. And then Nameless Grave contacted me, and um, it was remixed and put out again. And they did all like the physical stuff, and everything past that point is them. Or they, uh, nice. Desert Wastelands did a cassette version as well, but they did everything else. So how did it feel to be contacted by a label instead of seeking them out yourself? Well, uh, it was pretty crazy because I'd, I'd been, like, I'd been thinking of, like, emailing Nameless Grave and saying, like, hey, I, I made this album because uh, I'm a fan of Brandon's band, Drakkar. Um, mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of them. And, like, he's kind of one of the, I guess, big figures in this more recent... I don't, I don't know if I should call the surge quite yet, but like he's, he's one of the people doing like this old melodic death metal stuff these days. Um, 
So I wanted to see if he'd put it out on tape because I, I was like, oh, there's no way anyone's going to put this out on CD. <laughs> um, and he, he contacted me and ironically, he ended up not doing a tape and he did CD and eventually vinyl instead. Um, so it was pretty crazy. It's like, oh, shit, he's contacting me. Originally, it wasn't to put it out. He was just he just said, like, oh, it's a good album. Um, you know, maybe you'd want to put the next one out on my label. And I, I think somehow we managed to work out to put this one, this World of Sorrows out on Nameless Grave with after the remix. Um, so that was pretty awesome. Yeah, that would be. Um, when was the original demo? Not demo, but when was the original release? Oh, man. Um, I can't remember exactly. I don't have it written down anywhere. It was like sometime would have been in June or March between those two times. Because it was like... I'd been wanting to put it out in April, but the recording just took so long. And the original mix, like, I, we didn't really have a process for that one. So the original mix took quite a while. The remixing part of it didn't actually take more than a couple months. Oh, yeah. No, Andrew Andrew um, got it done surprisingly fast. Um, I mean, considering how much it, like, I guess just how much more consistent and, uh, you, you know, like, the guy who originally produced it was more like he... um the guy I recorded it with was like an EDM guy. So, you know, like, I guess he wasn't, wasn't like, uh, in the mindset for me, like producing a metal album. Um, whereas Andrew obviously produces only metal albums as far as I know. Um, so I, he did an amazing job for how short he managed to <laughs> do that in. Uh, yeah, I think that's was, incredible. Yeah. It was pretty insane. Um, and like even like the test mix he did sounded amazing. I still have that somewhere on my computer, probably. Um, like the, just the first the first draft he did was like already something I would be fine putting out. So as we discussed earlier, um, before the show here, you're pretty young at just 19 years old and spearheading your own project. You've already got one album out, and you're on a label. So my question here is, have you had to deal with any closed-mindedness? And what I mean is people looking down on you or doubting you because of your age? Um, not a whole lot. I mean, most people, you know, I, I don't look like, you know, I don't talk to many people. So maybe if I talked to more people, I would have those problems. But, and most people also just don't know I'm 19 until, like, I tell them, um, so I don't have it much. Sometimes I feel like people are a bit condescending and seem to think that I don't know as much as I do. But I mean, you know, I'm, maybe I'm just 19, but I spend a lot of my time on the internet just like looking <laughs> for demos and like listening to a whole bunch of obscure bands. Like I, I know a lot more about the scene than some people give me credit for, but that's not, I guess, directly related to Dungeon Serpent. No, but I mean, people think that in order to have a little bit of clout in the scene that you have to have a lot of time. However, if you're investing a lot more time, and even if you're younger, you, you can kind of match or surpass that level of knowledge. Oh, yeah, certainly. Experience. I mean, you know, if you, if you spend all your time doing something, you're going to know a lot about it. And I, you know, again, I uh, spend all my time doing this, so I know a lot yeah. about it. Well, that's how musicians become great. It's something that I have never gone down. So if I picked up a guitar, I would be absolute shit. Well, I mean, you know, 
Uh, so was I when I picked up a guitar. <laughs> and so somebody who is um, relatively new to the scene as as far as having their own band, uh, you must have a fresh perspective on the death metal and where things are going. So what are some of the benefits you think of maybe having that perspective? I don't know. I mean, I guess like my feelings on the death metal scene, especially when I was recording Dungeon Serpent were kind of like, like, I mean, you know, I, I thought everyone would like totally fucking hate this album when I was recording. I'm like, there's no way anyone's going to like this. Cause you know, I was writing this, um, back in 2020 when the whole caveman thing was kind of like really peaking hard. Um, and you know, like I, I, I just thought there's no way anyone in death metal is going to like something like this melodic, um, when everyone's kind of trying to like out brutal the other person. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, generally, I, I don't know how, I don't know how like fresh my perspective really is. I mean, my perspective is mostly just that I want to make something I like. Um, and I mean, you know, I, I don't have like a whole lot of, I mean, you know, there's, there's the bands I like and the things I like and the things I don't particularly like, but I think it's mostly just a, like a subjective personal opinion. I don't know how much it's informed by my age or anything. Mm -hmm. And like the music is just, you know, whatever I, I, I think, you know, certainly something like Dungeon Serpent, I don't think it could exist without the internet. So that I guess in some, in some level owes to my age. Now, is do you think that wouldn't or may not exist because the internet helps with like exposure and research, or what do you mean? Well, I mean, like you know, I I probably wouldn't know like quite as many bands and like have quite as many things to influence me if I didn't have the internet. You know, like if I didn't have the internet, there's so much stuff I would never have been exposed to. Like, um, you know, like the the death metal bands I listed earlier is some of the first I got into had I gotten to death metal in the nineties, I probably wouldn't known have known about those bands. Cause you know, there's, those aren't hugely popular bands or especially back then they weren't now they're a bit, you know, more well-known through the internet, but you know, I wouldn't have been finding time ghoul if I'd been getting into death metal back in 1990, because that was a pretty obscure band then. <laughs> yeah. And not only that, but death metal was still in its relative infancy. Relative, Actually, I, mean, I think it was, you know, it, it had existed for five or six years at that point. But like, you know, the 90s was the point where it really like became very separated from thrash. Jumping back to your album, something that I found really interesting was your album art. So uh, the album cover was originally a painting done by Cole Thomas, uh, which included the course of an empire, sorry, the course of empire series. And they the, the original paintings were made from 1834 to 1836. So for any listeners who are unfamiliar with the paintings, there are a total of five paintings that were made uh, depicting the growth and fall of an imaginary city uh, from a similar point of view. They're all quite detailed and cover a wide range of colors and tones and time periods. Um, so what made you choose the painting Desolation specifically, and how does it relate to your music? Um, well, it, it, the, the fact that the painting Desolation exists and like it fit the idea I had for cover art so closely is a miracle because... Um, I guess, like, I had this vision for an album cover for that, where it was, um, like, a, a river with a sunset at the end and some kind of, like, desolated structures. And, I mean, that's what that painting is. <laughs> um, 
and like it was kind of a, a combination of the cover to like, like a big inspiration on what I wanted the cover to be was the River of Cortisone by Sacramentary Abolishment. I really liked that one. It's like I like I like the river on the cover. It's really ominous looking. Um, and then also uh, just some random picture of a sunset I took. And those like uh, the picture of the sunset was going to be the original album cover. Um, but I changed it because I thought the um, I thought like the painting really just reflected it a lot more. It, how mm -hmm. it ties into the themes of the album. Um, I hadn't actually written lyrics at the point where I chose that cover. <laughs> uh, maybe I'd written a few a bit of lyrics um, or like different lyrics because I think Necroscope had lyrics for a long time, but I changed them a whole lot. But I think they, the cover, the choice of the cover mostly reflected the song Decay. Because um, I think I had lyrics written for that one at that point. Um, but I guess um, I just, the, like the song Decay is about like a post-apocalypse sort of. Uh, I mean, it, it's a, a, a fairly detailed song lyrically, but, well, kind of. But um, I just, I liked the idea of, like, a world without humanity um, and kind of all the achievements and things people have made within our, like, relatively short lifetime as a species just kind of existing as, like, elements of the landscape um, after we're gone. And that was sort of the idea. I liked that kind of feeling a lot. Yeah. The painting definitely, um, you basically just described the painting like 100%. Yeah. I, I like how the painting itself on the, on the album cover, like it draws your focus to the logo as well. It took me a little while to figure out what the fuck it was, but it was, yeah, I loved, I loved the whole thing. Yeah, no, it's really cool. I, I mean, again, that's uh, insane that that painting exists so close to what I wanted the cover art to be. Um, mm -hmm. it's very wild to me. I mean, the themes of the album overall were more like, I don't know, a bit more depressive, but I think the painting reflects that pretty well too, because it's kind of a sad painting. Or, I agree. Yeah. So why do you think that, uh, a lot of metal bands are using, um, po uh, sorry, are using paintings or oil paintings for their album art? It's cheap. <laughs> that's, that's <a> pretty, <laughs> I mean, like, okay, that's. <laughs> That's a joke. Like, it's a true answer, but I mean, those old classic, um, classical paintings, like metal is a very dramatic form of art. Um, and a lot of those paintings people use are from the romantic period, um, which was the point of the romantic period was they were trying to be dramatic and like, just really have these strong emotions and calling back to like old European mythology. And those are all things metal is based on as well. You know, metal, there's a lot of European mythology in it. Uh, you know, I'd say European uh, kind of sounds bad <laughs> saying that. Uh, but like, you know, um, like that sort of thing has been influential to metal. Like a lot of paintings depict Greek and um, Norse gods, which obviously those are two of the more reflected pantheons within metal lyrics. Um, and I think it's just generally like the uh, the level of, a dramaticness in those paintings that mm -hmm. um, really calls to metal musicians because you know again metal is a very dramatic and expressive form of music um so it it's a very fitting it's a very fitting thing 
why do you think musicians have chosen to express themselves in such a brutal way? I don't know. I mean, the weird thing about Dungeon Serpent is I think until kind of the ending when I was doing vocals, I had viewed music in a very like clinical manner. Um, like I, I view it more in a technical way where I was thinking more about techniques than I was thinking about emotions. And it's like some friends of mine at the time, they thought about it in a more emotional way. And that kind of influenced me to start seeing it in that way too. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I can say for me, I use the vocals as a form of expression. And I mean, sometimes I, you know, you just feel very, very frustrated and need to get that out in a physical way. Um, and the vocals you know, the death metal vocals really work. I, I, of course, you know, not all, not all death metal or not all extreme metal bands are necessarily trying to express emotions. In fact, a lot of them aren't, which is fine. You know, uh, a lot of the time you're just doing it because you want to do it. Um, cause it's the aesthetic that is generally like belonging to extreme metal. Um, but I think when people do it, it's just, um, you need something very visceral to get something out of your system and, uh, you know, just screaming at the top of your lungs provides that pretty well. And there's definitely something to be said about doing it well. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know if I do it well, but <laughs> I do it pretty well. You have an album, so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean much, but uh, there are definitely bands that I've heard that uh, should probably not be trying to scream. Yeah, some people can't do it. In fact, originally I was going to get someone else to do vocals, but I like I started writing the lyrics and I felt like they were too personal for someone else to do them, so I just did them myself. And also, I'm I'm very glad I did not get the person I was going to do to get vocals on that because um he kind of turned out to be a bit of a bad guy, so dodged a bullet with that hmm. one. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so you mentioned it uh, that the lyrics might have been too personal for somebody else. So does that mean that you bring in some personal experience to your lyrics? Yeah, uh, to a few songs, um, it's pretty evenly divided between two songs kind of being about more detached things and then two songs being about more um, personal things like Necroscope and Immortal Incubation are the personal ones and uh, Decay and Cosmic Sorcery are the ones that were more just based in fantasy. But um, okay, I guess I, 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 was, I, I was in a bit of a state at the time when I was writing the lyrics and kind of finishing up the music back in like winter of 2020 um i was just rather like frustrated with my place in life and pretty lonely and stuff and that's very reflected in the lyrics there's a lot of just i guess images that were coming to me often that um for necroscope at least there's a lot of images that came to me um then i turned those into the lyrics and for immortal incubation i think the original idea was i was going to base it off this um it's like Italian cult from the Middle Ages who um, like their belief is that when they went to sleep in their dreams, they'd go fly around the countryside and battle demons. And I thought that was pretty cool. Um, but eventually it kind of got like turned into um, like a story of an afterlife journey, trying to like express a sense of just placelessness in life. And that's, so those, you know, those are pretty personal. Originally, I was just going to do Immortal Incubation. That was just the one I do the vocals on. And I changed the lyrics to Necroscope, and they were more personal. So I decided to do the vocals on that one too. And I just decided to do the vocals on everything. Would you say that um, when you're listening to music, if if 
the musicians bring in personal experience to their lyrics that it resonates better within you? It depends. I mean, you know, in metal, it can be very hard to tell when someone's bringing in personal experience. Like, I mean, music that, like, I guess resonates with me a lot emotionally is stuff like Sacramentary Abolishment and Early In Flames. And, like, I, I can't say what experiences were informing that, but I can, like, I can kind of, I, I can get some, like, I can put my own feelings into it more so than, like, maybe they're putting theirs into it. I know for, I know for In Flames, at least their fourth album, which, you know maybe is my favorite by them but their fourth album was written during a more like tumultuous period for the vocalist so the lyrics on that one certainly are channeling something but i mean i have no idea if they're just if it's just an aesthetic choice or if they're actually channeling something on the earlier ones yeah and it's all subjective too i mean they could be putting something out it's like any art they could be putting it out with with one purpose in mind but whoever's taking that in can take it a completely different way yeah i mean you know, I'm a big believer of, uh, or I'm a big, oh crap, I messed that one up. I'm a big believer in death of the author. I think that's a, a pretty good concept. So whatever it means to you is what it means to you. Um, it doesn't necessarily matter what it originally meant. Yeah. And it, people will also enjoy, um, music in a different way than it's meant to be. Yeah. Uh, the reason I kind of point that out is because there was, there was something where the singer Adele, I think her name is, she complained to Spotify about the randomized button because she's like, this is how I want my art to be taken in. It's like, you know what? You can't choose how people are going to read your art. You don't yeah. know how they're going to resonate or how it's going to resonate with them. And you, you can't just choose for them. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, that's a very petty thing of her to do. Like I, I get it, I guess, but like, you know, Crimson by Edge of Sanity, the part that's broken up into little songs. That was supposed to be listened to as an entire song. But you can still listen to that on shuffle. And, I mean, fuck, I have. Like, mm -hmm. you know, just let people listen to things how they want. I mean, you know, there's different things. Like, I mean, I've come across, like, Nazis listening to my music. And I'm always like, oh, God these people have to like shit i put out and i like i i know i know why there are nazis who listen to my music <laughs> i know damn well why it's you know a certain influence but like i don't i don't it's different from the adele thing i don't fucking want those people associated with me god <laughs> <laughs> i think that's a pretty fair sentiment to have and i think that's pretty widespread as well yeah but you know what it doesn't matter what person's belief is they everybody likes there everyone likes music or their styles of art you can't choose who listens to your stuff oh right? yeah and i mean I'm, I'm not i'm not saying like i wish you know i'm just saying like it's a, it's whenever i see it i'm like christ but you know if people like it they like it i, I guess i yep. can't complain that much <laughs> well you know what it's a shit attitude but um that can be unlearned as well so yeah back to your album here uh world of sorrows the title track is a pretty it's a pretty long song clocking in at 11 minutes uh, or 11 minutes 30 seconds about so that's pretty impressive especially for a debut album yeah i mean i'm i i guess i have a i guess my style of writing music tends to just make really long songs which is funny because i remember when i was writing the songs at first i couldn't get them past a minute like the original draft of necroscope was short as hell um <laughs> But I, I guess by the time I wrote that one, I was a bit better at um, 
expanding things. But I think that that one owes its length to the reoccurring kind of like idea that I used in it. And also some of the solos are really long. Like I remember at my workplace at that time, one of the supervisors had put on this song called um, Green Grass and High Tides by the Outlaws. And that's like a 10 minute, nine minute song. And it's mostly just solos. And I think that influenced um, World of Sorrows a lot. I kind of wanted to make just like a big song with a lot of solos. Um, and I, I was surprised. I thought it was going to come out to eight minutes. So I was like, oh, this is 10 minutes. Shit. That's cool. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Are you planning on having long instrumental songs on subsequent releases? The next album has an 11 minute song, but it has vocals. Um, I don't know. I mean, I want to do like a 20 minute song someday, but that's going to be a challenge to write and a challenge to learn for the other members who do stuff in studio now too. Are you planning on um, bringing the members on permanently, or are you just going to keep releasing solo and then playing with the other musicians? Um, on the next, on the next releases, um, the drummer and the bassist from the live lineup are present because I, I just real drums sound a lot better than programmed ones. Um, and like it makes it a whole lot more chaotic and like uh, you can feel it a bit more that way. And I, I'm tired of writing bass lines. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's like another thing to write. And I remember for World of Sorrows. I didn't write them in advance. I pretty much wrote them the night before and then like went in and recorded them. So it was a wild ride there. I must say well played. <laughs> well, there was there was a bit of overdubbing that went on in the recording process of that album. Because uh, like I, I didn't rehearse anything enough. Like I, I pretty much went in to record after like right after I'd finished World of Sorrows almost the mm -hmm. title track like i i just i remember um my dad got covid so i was living in the basement um for like a week and i just um there's this guy had recorded some the bonus track on that album is like a song i just recorded this guy in the neighborhood um who had a studio and i'd wanted to record some of my old like death grind material back in early 2020 so i'd recorded that song and then i'm like oh i was trying to record it at home and the home recording sounded pretty bad um so i i was i decided i'd record with him and so i i just i went in to record but I, I didn't really know how to practice like two guitar parts and stuff back then so there was like a lot of just like retaking it over and over again and stitching together the best parts from all the takes which i mean you know it was the first time in studio i didn't know what i was doing <laughs> Now, if you're going to, if you're going to release more music here, um, do you think you have a better handle on kind of how to navigate the studio? Oh and, and yeah, the album release itself. Oh yeah, no, it's definitely going to be a lot better next time. <laughs> I mean, we're going into record a demo hopefully this spring, um, and you know, like I, I've figured out how to practice both guitar parts at this point, um, which was a fairly obvious answer of just kind of running through them both in a like just recording both guitar parts at home, uh, just to get them down. So, I mean, you know, I, I, this time it's going to be a lot less, a lot less of a like piecemeal process. I'm just going to play him through. So Dungeon Serpent has been put into like the, the melodic death metal category, uh, category, sorry. And it kind of got me thinking like, there's a lot more to mellow death than I originally thought. Like you mentioned kind of uh, like in flames and dark tranquility and a few other bands here, there can be a specific sound that they have, but Dungeon Serpent, my, my original exposure to it was, 
quite harsh and at first sounded like straight death metal. But anyways, my question here is, what do you think of that Mellow Death label? And um, do you think it's accurate for your style of music? Yeah, I mean, Dungeons, I mean, you know, I set out to create a Mellow Death project, so it's pretty accurate. I mean, I'm flattered when people think it's straight death metal, because that was kind of the idea. Um, like, the whole, I guess, philosophy behind it was the idea that, like, it, it's very objectively melodic music. Like, I'm following scales very closely. There's very few chromatic parts. So, you know, it's pretty consonant, which is kind of the definition of melodic. Um, but, like... what? Sorry to interrupt. What's chromatic? Uh, oh man, chromaticism's um, it's not following a scale. Okay. Um, whereas Dungeon Serpent, all the most of the riffs, except for a few, are following a specific kind of scale pattern. Um, that's like I guess that's I, I've had arguments with friends about what exactly melodic entails, but um, that's kind of my personal definition. Uh, okay. To me, but like. The idea was to get something that's very melodic, but just play it so brutal and fast that, like, it, it just comes across as not melodic or to people. Um, and I, again, I, it seems like I've accomplished that, which is great. Um, but I, I, you know, I think Mellow Death's a fitting label. That's what I was listening to mostly when I recorded and wrote this. I was like a lot of Mellow Death. I mean, I'm looking at my CD collection here and like it's <laughs> almost all Mellow Death. Uh, so obviously I'm pretty invested in the style personally. Mm -hmm. So you would obviously say that uh, like your dissonant or your chaotic approach to Mellow Death is, was a hundred percent intentional. Yeah. I mean, I, I, the idea was to make like really brutal Mellow Death pretty much like just, I, again, as, especially cause I, I was kind of surrounded with that caveman thing at the time. And like the philosophy behind that is like that complexity and, melody and brutality are like not compatible at all and so mm -hmm. the idea is like well no they are i mean you can make something that's incredibly melodic but also like really 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 heavy so for subsequent releases um what are some things that you're looking back on and that you can improve upon uh, i want to get the songwriting a bit better um i felt like on the first one it was very linear and I kind of want to have more elements that come back around, not necessarily like verse course stuff so much, but I want to have it be like, maybe there'll be a riff earlier in the song and that'll come back in a different form later in the song. And like, you know, if you're paying attention, you'll notice like, oh, that's that riff from earlier, but kind of changed a bit. Um, and just kind of have things like have the song be less of like a straight line and more of like a referential thing, have more just stuff that is kind of clever in the arrangement. Um, I mean, other things to improve on, there's things that'll be different on the next one. Like, I think it's maybe, I mean, it's still really, really brutal and stuff. I don't think I'm ever going to drop that necessarily, but it's a bit like a bit proggier at times. I think, I think Interesting. there's, there's going to be a bit more like active dissonance on some of the later ones, like just really nasty, evil sounding guitar parts thrown in there but mostly just it's a bit proggier and more like well arranged and what would you say some aspects of your music that you would like to stay consistent i don't know just the brutality and the melody pretty much um i you know i think if i write anything it'll be recognizable as dungeon serpent <laughs> um you know from what people i, I don't I don't know what people um, necessarily identify the 
first one through. Yeah, there's only one album, so I don't know if like a true Dungeon Serpent sound has been quite established totally yet, but it'll be recognizable on the second one. Well, and if it hasn't, he'll grow into it for sure. Yeah. So for people looking for uh, to find your music and apart from streaming, where's the best place for them to buy it for you? Um, I was just buying it digitally on Bandcamp. I have a whole lot of like artist copies of albums and I, I have not like for Canada because the arrangement was I ship everything within Canada and Brandon does everything everywhere else. Um, and I get uh, some money from that. But um, the, the best option is buying it just on Bandcamp. It's like seven bucks. I do intend on eventually selling my artist copies, but I ran into a lot of trouble um, shipping them first time. Like I, I feel bad because I ended up shipping things like months and months and like after it was ordered because I just, um, I don't know. It's shipping's complicated and hard. And um, my PayPal account was being pretty weird with my bank account at the time. So it was kind of hard to get the shipping money into my bank account to pay the shipping place. Well, and shipping within Canada is ridiculous. I mean, I've got it pretty good sometimes, but like, it's also been pretty crap sometimes. Shipping is just a nightmare overall. I mean, I I buy stuff on Discogs all the time, and like, it's such a such a scattered board. I'm very lucky. Um, you know, obviously, there's a lot of people selling like metal CDs in Russia, and I'm very lucky. I've not bought anything recently from Russia because I would not be getting my stuff or Ukraine. Um. I think I got something from Ukraine last year, but thank God I didn't get anything this year because that would be like bombed or something at this point. Yeah, I I hope for a, a resolution to that whole incident quickly, but who knows what's uh, yeah what's coming? It's uh, I don't know. It's it's been I guess it's been like it's been in the works for a long time. Like I remember hearing about the beginnings of that back in twenty fourteen. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Wild. Didn't they also have a conflict um, around the 2008 period? I don't quite I remember, but I know that they were, they tried to invade quite a while ago. But anyways, yeah. Um, anyways, on that note, Eli, it was a pleasure to have you today. Thank yeah. you so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on. It was, it was great. Thank you for tuning in and we will see you next time on Gyro Nation Metal. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. The podcast can be found on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you would like to support this podcast, please consider checking out my Patreon. Thank you.